Amen. Well, last week we were able to celebrate some baptisms together here at the Rocky Hollow campus. And uh, this morning at the 9 o'clock service, and we'll again at 11 o'clock show video of those five baptisms so that the entire church can celebrate with us. And at the 9 o'clock service, everybody clapped along as if it had happened right then. So it's, uh, it's great to be able to share uh, the joy of what God is doing here. Uh, the series that we're in is called Unstuck, and it's uh, about discovering how Jesus sets us free from common issues that we face. And we've covered fear, worry, anger, guilt, and today is jealousy. Jealousy. Now there are times when jealousy can be right and not a sin, but we're only talking about the sinful kind of jealousy that uh, gets us stuck. And the problem of jealousy is bigger than ever. And I've read a number of articles, uh, secular articles, about why, and uh, they say social media is the problem. Uh, many of us have FOMO, which is the fear of missing out, right? And uh, when we see posts of other people who look amazing, doing amazing things in amazing places with other amazing people, it can cause feelings of jealousy. In fact, research suggests that the more you use social media, the more envious you tend to be. Well, wisdom from Proverbs tells us that uh, jealousy, envy, is a big problem. Uh, Proverbs 27.4, anger is cruel, fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? So it sounds like jealousy is even more, in some ways, harmful than anger. Uh, jealousy seethes and ferments beneath the surface. And in our culture, it's easy to be consumed with envy over people you've never even met. Uh, jealousy can be aroused by what you see, what you hear, uh, even what you imagine. And it's dangerous and debilitating. And jealousy is not something to take lightly. And that's what I want you to hear this morning. Because jealousy destroys you from the inside out. Two questions we're going to deal with today. Number one, what is jealousy? And number two, how do we get unstuck? So what is it and how do we deal with jealousy. So that first question, what is it? Uh, novelist Margaret Atwood says this. I like this definition she gives. You can only be jealous of someone who has something you think you ought to have yourself. That's jealousy. And that's the jealousy we see in Scripture played out between two sisters, for example, Rachel and Leah. Rachel had a husband who adored her, but no children. Leah's husband did not adore her, but she had many children. And to complicate matters, it was the same husband, by the way, just in, if you know that. And look how that played out, all right? Genesis 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Now bear that in mind as we continue on here, but this is the essence of jealousy. You have something I want. What you have is what I deserve to have. And that was Rachel. Her sister had children, and Rachel wanted a child too. In fact, Rachel wanted children more than she wanted to live. And by the way, whatever makes you envious is really an idol. It's an idol. It is what you worship it's what you're willing to do anything to get. For Rachel, it was motherhood. A child was her God substitute. 
And if you're jealous over somebody's looks, your idol is beauty or fitness. If you're jealous over his job or her ability or their achievements, your idol is success. If you're envious of their house and their exotic vacations, their, their luxury golf cart, then your idol is money. And so on. Realize the focus of your jealousy is the God you serve. It is jealousy that looks at someone else and thinks, God has been better to you than he has been to me. So I want to take you to James chapter 4 because it directly speaks to this attitude. James 4. It answers our two questions of what is jealousy and how do we get unstuck. So James chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. Now please don't miss the fact that this is written to church people. Those who claim faith in Christ. But they're in conflict with each other. And this conflict is not just occasional. Fights and quarrels is plural. There's hostility in the church. And it's not just one church. This is a general epistle. James addressed this letter to all believers in Jesus everywhere. So this isn't just for the ancient church in Jerusalem, first Christian church of Jerusalem. This is for the worship place at Sun City and Rocky Hollow. And when it comes to disagreements... We like to blame the other side, the other person, somebody else. They're unreasonable. They're difficult. And we tend to see the problem, whatever that problem is, we tend to see the problem as out there. Uh, but God's wisdom puts the blame in here. Not just in me, but in you too. In, in here. My desire to get what I feel I deserve is what's behind my jealousy, my anger. So when you feel bitter, critical, angry, jealous, look inside yourself to see if it's linked to not getting what you wanted. Now, James, I think, shocks us a little. He used some shocking words anyway. Verse 2, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous for what others have, and you can't possess it, so you fight and quarrel. So when you don't get what you wanted, and somebody else does, do you think things like this? I never get any breaks. She's always so lucky. He didn't deserve that. I bet they cheated. All those bitter non-Astro fans are saying that. But anyway. <laughs> James cuts to the core of what's really going on. Our jealousy and desires are murderous. We're actually wishing that other person or those other people ill. That's what's happening when you mutter under your breath, if it wasn't for her, I would have married him. Why are they so healthy and we're not? If he hadn't been here, I would have got that job. If it wasn't for them, my business wouldn't have failed. See, not getting what I want can fuel murderous jealousy. Even psychology today called jealousy a killer. So about 30 years ago, I took a, a doctoral course with the renowned scholar D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar, incredible man. I was really looking forward to it. There were about 20 of us in that class. And in the very first week, Dr. Carson called our attention to one of the guys in the class, and he said, 
Friends, this is a gifted communicator, gifted young man, one of the best thinkers, one of the best communicators in the country, I believe. I've had the privilege, Dr. Carson said, of hearing him speak. He's going to do great things. Well, that was quite an accolade. I looked over at this guy I hadn't met, and I didn't like him already. (laughs) I mean, how could Carson say such a thing? I hadn't even turned in a paper yet. He'd never heard me speak. And for the rest of the course, every time that young man made a comment or asked a question, inwardly I went, meh. (laughs) I don't remember his name. I truly hope he did great things. But I was living out this truth that James talks about. I killed in the sense of not loving my brother in Christ. I coveted. I was jealous. I wanted something I didn't get. Well, what was that, John? I wanted attention. I wanted respect. I wanted notoriety from my professor, and I didn't get it, and the result was ugly. Now, frequently, we're fighting the wrong people. We're quarreling with our spouse, with our parents, with the neighbors, with the boss, when the real fight is in here. We want what others have, attention, approval, position, possessions, admiration, success, and we didn't get it. And when we examine why we're angry, why we're hurt, why we're reacting, why we're argumentative, often the reason isn't pretty. Deep down, it's selfish ambition, jealousy, and craving. And the result is fights and quarrels and a lack of peace. Allowing jealousy into my life opens the door to every kind of dysfunction and sin. That's why the Bible warns us against it. So here's what I want you to notice. That when we're jealous, we take out our frustrations on people, but we're really mad at God. Even if we don't admit it, ultimately we know this is God's fault. Rachel thought, God allowed Leah to have babies. Why won't he give one to me? See, whatever we're jealous over is something that God could have given to us, and he didn't. So answering that first question, what is jealousy? Deep down, jealousy is a grudge against God. We feel he owes us more than what he's given. And since we don't usually admit that, and we don't recognize it, we take out our frustration on those around us. We hold them responsible. That's what Rachel did to Jacob, right? She blamed him. We hold them responsible because we're not smarter, thinner, faster, taller, better, healthier, or richer than we are. That's your fault. And so that is what jealousy is. It's a frustrated desire. And while we might take it out on other people, our ultimate problem is with God. So... How do I get unstuck from jealousy? You can't just ignore it and hope it goes away. You can't just pretend like jealousy is never a problem for you. You and I must take action to free ourselves from the the trap of jealousy because it's a dangerous thing. Now, there are three parts to to getting unstuck, and they they come from James chapter 4. Two of them are explicit. One of them is implicit. So I want to take you through our passage here to see, because God never points out a problem without telling us how to get get, uh, free from it. So here it is. Three parts to getting unstuck. 
Step number one, you want to get unstuck, ask God to provide. You say, well, well, that's pretty basic. Yes, verse two, you do not have because you do not ask God. A major failure in how you deal with your desires and your disappointments is that you keep asking the wrong people. You look for others to provide what only God can give. That's what Rachel did. Jealous of her sister, she threatens her husband and says, give me children or I'll die. Now, if I expect people to satisfy me, comfort me, encourage me, pick me first, I'm always going to be disappointed. What I'm doing is asking others to be God. James says your frustration, your resentment, your envy, your discontent, your lack of results are because you don't ask God. Talking to others or talking about others regarding what you want more than talking to God means you've left out the one who makes the difference. He's the only one with real authority. And so James says, that's why you get nothing or what you get is unsatisfying. Now, let me put something in your mind. Maybe you've thought of it before, but maybe you haven't. Did you ever think that the reason your desires are frustrated is to motivate you to pray? It's to actually encourage you to pray. Don't you think it's possible that one purpose for things not going your way is so that you would turn your attention to the one who can make a difference? And frankly, too many times, my reaction to things not going my way is anger or jealousy or hurt when it should have been, God, I need you. I need you. So that first part of getting unstuck, getting unstuck from jealousy begins with crying out to God in prayer. That's where it begins. John Piper wrote that prayer causes things to happen that wouldn't happen if you didn't pray. Let that sink in. You cannot operate under the assumption that if it's meant to be, you'll get it anyway, even if you don't ask. That's the opposite of what James says here in this passage. He says explicitly, there are some things you don't get because you don't ask. Now, I believe God is in control of the universe. I believe he is sovereign. I believe he has a plan that will not fail. But somehow, some way, he has made it possible for us to be part of that. That through prayer, we can bring into being things that otherwise would not happen. And this boldness to ask God is based on who Jesus is and your relationship to him. Jesus is the great mediator between God and man. His death and resurrection provides the bridge to God. All who trust in Jesus, he says, cross over from death to life. That's the promise of all who put their trust in Christ. You've crossed over from death to life. And all who trust in Jesus now can boldly ask God for his help in every and any situation. You have the right of access to a holy God through Jesus. You can come into his presence boldly. And yet, maybe you're like me, that I don't pray enough. Got plenty of reasons to. Don't pray enough. Now, just because we ask, it doesn't mean that God is bound to do it our way either. But if we don't ask, there are things he won't do because we didn't ask. That's what the scripture says. So that's the first step. Here comes the second step of getting unstuck, and that is examine your motives. Verse 3, 
When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So when it comes to asking God, maybe you can say, as James anticipated us saying, I do ask God. I've been crying out for his help day and night. I've been praying for my husband to come back. I've been praying for my husband to go away. I've been praying that I'll get a job. I've been praying for my children to come visit me. I've been praying for some friends. I've been praying that my grandchild will get off drugs. I've been praying that I'll stop worrying so much. I've been praying that I'll be healed. I've been praying that we would get that house. I've been praying for somebody to love me. And to those of you who pray, James says, here's one reason why your prayers aren't answered the way you want. Your motives are all wrong. And the word for wrong here, the Greek word that James uses is kakos, which means unhealthy. Your prayers are unhealthy. When is a prayer unhealthy? Prayer is unhealthy when, first of all, it's selfish. It's not open to what God wants. It's so focused on what you want. And so when our prayers are all about give me, heal me, bless me, more than God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That self-centeredness is unhealthy prayer. Another aspect of wrong motives in our prayer is short-sightedness. We can't see the bigger picture. We can't see the overall purpose of God. We don't know what's best for us. We only know what we want, what we think is best. And we're focused on what we think we need. So Amy and I have a, have a good friend She's pretty, and she's fun, she's funny, talented, and uh, she was, had never been married. She was in her 40s, still single, and she wanted to be married, but she refused to settle for the wrong guy, and there were so many of those. Uh, one of the first times Amy and I actually sat down and talked with her, we, we, that we prayed with her and for her over this very situation. That was, the, that was something on her heart and mind. And she came to realize this. She came to realize that a marriage relationship was an idol for her. It was an idol. And so God had to be her first love. His will had to be her greatest desire. And she came to grips with that beautifully. And not terribly long after that, God brought the right man, exactly the right man, into her life. And when she wanted a husband, it wasn't God's time. And you know what? That grown man, also in his 40s, had yet to become a Christian. But in the intervening time, he put his faith in Jesus. They got connected. And 24 years ago, I performed that wedding, and they're still close friends of ours to this day. God has reasons and plans far beyond what we can imagine or see. So... You see, getting unstuck from jealousy means confronting my selfish and short-sighted motives. I'm not going to get unstuck from jealousy if I don't deal with the, the motivations I have for crying out to God. Those are unhealthy prayers God doesn't answer. And unless we confront those motives, we will stay stuck in jealousy and in frustration. Now the third step to getting unstuck is, is implied in James 4, but it, I want to point you to another scripture as well. And that is to celebrate your contentment. Celebrate your contentment. Hebrews 13, 5. Be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you. 
If you have asked God, cried out to God, and you've examined your motives for what you're asking for, then you must be content with whatever happens because you know that that's what God knows best for you. That's how you learn to be content. How can you tell if you're content? Well, here's a, here's a little signal. You can tell if you're being content. You're able to celebrate the achievements of others. When great things happen to other people, you're able to celebrate with them. You're able to be happy for them. If you find it difficult to compliment others when they do well, if you find it hard to congratulate others when they succeed, if you find it painful to share in their happiness, that is jealousy, and you are failing at contentment. You're unable to be content. And the bottom reason, and this is what James also hints at, is because you're comparing yourself to somebody else. Thomas DeLong is a professor at Harvard Business, Business School, and he, he notes a disturbing trend among his colleagues and his students that he calls comparison obsession. He tells about a former student who has a terrific job at a Fortune 500 company. That is, she felt it was terrific until she received her alumni newsletter. And she learned that a guy who was in the MBA program with her had just been named VP at a Fortune 100 company. And from that moment on, Professor DeLong said, she could not stop bemoaning her lack of VP and Fortune 100 company status. He said, here's a Harvard grad with a great job who kept telling other people she felt like a failure. What's going on there? Well, that's jealousy. And getting unstuck from jealousy means refusing to compare myself to others. Refuse to do that. And when you can't... Well, there's always going to be somebody who at least seems to have it better than you. I hate to break it to you. There's always going to be somebody. And here's something else you might not think through. There will always be those who think something in your life is better than theirs. Always. So fight against that wrong desire and rejoice with those who rejoice. Singer Bette Midler once said that the worst part of success is trying to find someone who's happy for you. And when you can't celebrate your contentment, you reduce the joy of others. Are you a joy reducer? You can reduce the joy of others simply by not celebrating with them, not being as happy for them as you should be. Are you somebody who's unable to be content with what you have, so frustrated by not getting what you want that you drain the joy out of those around you? And you might drain the joy by your half-hearted attempt to celebrate or by the fact that they know that you're going to be jealous or hurt by this and so they don't share their celebration with you. And they can't celebrate because it makes you envious, it makes you dissatisfied. Now life is full of situations that challenge our contentment. Well, let me just emphasize for you that freedom from jealousy comes when I am content in Christ. That's the basic line. So for every single one of us today who has put our faith in, in Christ alone, who has crossed over from death to life by the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his glorious resurrection, here are some of what's true of you and me. You have glorious riches 
in Christ Jesus. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You have all surpassing power. You have grace and peace in abundance. You have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. You have the promise that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when you dwell on those truths, you can be so content with what God has given you that you can even be happy for the success of those whose success seems far greater than yours. That's the way to get unstuck from jealousy. You remember the prodigal son, the parable that Jesus told the two brothers. The older one was obedient and respectful, as all older brothers are. The younger one was not. The younger brother, son, demanded his inheritance early so he could go live it up. And when he'd squandered everything, he trudged home, starving, humiliated, repentant. And he expected nothing. But of course, his father welcomed him with open arms. And not only did dad forgive him, but he gave that rebel the best of everything and threw a party in his honor. And the older brother couldn't believe it. He had been the good son. And his rotten little brother was rewarded for his selfishness. How could dad bless that rebel? He doesn't deserve it. And Jesus said the older brother refused to attend the party. That's what it's like to be stuck in jealousy. You compare what others got with what you got. And you're hurt. You're angry. It's not fair. And right now, in your circle of relationships, is there a party you're refusing to attend because of your jealousy? By that, have you withheld compliments? Have you withheld congratulations? Have you dampened celebration because you didn't get what you wanted and they did? Or because they always seem to get better and they don't deserve it? Break free from jealousy. Celebrate your contentment. Join the party. You can only do that if you know this. Christ is enough. There's a little mantra you could say to yourself every day. Christ is enough. And if you're in Christ, you can be content with whatever you have. Because your God will never leave you. Hebrews 14.5 Put down your envy over what others have that you don't. Stop your comparisons that stir up jealousy. Focus on all that is yours because of Jesus. Stand firm in the sufficiency of the Savior and join the party. Let's pray together. And now may the God who puts all things together and makes them whole do that very same work in your life. May he provide everything you need to please him by the power of Jesus the Messiah. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.